Well, as I said a moment ago, for the past three weeks, our community has begun this year by seeking to answer the question, what does it mean to be blessed? This word is religious sounding as all get out, and sure, it's a popular hashtag, but what does blessed actually mean? And the bigger question is, how do we find it? In that journey, we've been reflecting on an ancient prayer from Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27, which says, again, uh, to, to bring us up to speed, it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Earlier this month, we've looked at how God keeping us is synonymous. It is part of what it means for him to bless us. God's keeping is an element or a pillar of his blessing. Similarly, last week, we looked at how God's face shining upon us is part of what the Bible talks about when it talks about blessing. And so today we arrive at the question, what does it mean for God to be gracious to us? Grace, just like the word blessing, is one of these apparently biblical-sounding, religious-sounding, I think they're important words, but if we were to have all of you write down a definition of grace on a piece of paper today, we would have far more confusion than clarity. And so to help us find that clarity, today we have Dr. Gary Bashirs joining us from Portland, Oregon. Uh, Gary is a pastor and member of the preaching team at Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. He has been the professor of theology at Western Seminary in Portland since 1980. He's been doing systematic theology, you know, when some of us were still in our diapers. He regularly teaches and lectures at a number of colleges and seminaries around the world. He serves on the board for the Bible Project, which I know as many of you fanboying, fangirling, uh, Bible Project is a big, um, loved ministry here in our community. And finally, and what he would argue is one of the most important things he does is he serves as a pastor to pastors. Um, he realizes that, man, there is nothing, no, no greater blessing than having a pastor who is committed to you, in it with you, and encouraging you. And so often, those of us that are doing that for others don't have anyone doing that for us. And man, I have had the unique privilege of having Gary not just as one of my professors in my seminary story, but as, as you know, a pastor to your, to your pastor. And so I am just excited today uh, to be able to share uh, Dr. Bashir's with each and every single one of you. Because he has not only been my sounding board throughout the chaos, he's seen me ugly cry more than once. Uh, and man, even the process of us discerning God's calling for me to come in and be the teaching pastor at Collective, he was one of those, those vital figures that was helping me process through all of that. Now, in the midst of all of this, last fall, a series of tests revealed uh, cancer, melanoma in Gary's bladder, lungs, and brain. And so he has entered into a season over the past few months of tests and infusions and radio surgery and MRIs and PET scans and, and all the while uh, upkeeping his, his ministry of teaching and preaching and pastoring others. I mean, there's multiple Zoom calls that I've gotten snap screenshots of where he's teaching theology class in a uh, hospital gown. And so uh, to say, yeah, he's, he's, there's no, no, no stopping Gary. And so one of the things that I wanted to do before, as we pray for Gary today, uh, not just for his teaching today, but also just to pray uh, for the Spirit's healing work for him, uh, by God's grace, most of uh, both the cancer and the treatment over the past few months has been largely asymptomatic. Uh, over the last week, it's really begun to hit with some fatigue and weakness in his muscles. I'm sure we'll probably talk about that a little bit more. And so, I, I mean, I just, I've been praying for him, and I, I would uh, invite us to pray for Gary today as he comes forward, to pray for his wonderful wife, Sherry, and uh, well, yeah, let's just pray, and then we'll, we'll invite him up, and, and he'll tell us all about grace. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for today. Thank you for this community. Thank you for the mission that you've given us to serve and meet the people of the West Side. 
Uh, to show them Jesus. God, to show them grace. God, we acknowledge that, um, that God, we, we say that grace is the center of everything we believe as Christians, and yet we are <laughs> very regularly a little bit hazy on exactly what that means. And so, God, we pray that today, uh, through uh, Gary, that you would uh, instruct us and help us to see a far more beautiful and kaleidoscopic view of your grace uh, than maybe the uh, characters that we've been given. God, as we uh, sit under Gary today, we pray that your spirit would touch him and heal him. God, as Psalm 121 says, that when we go looking for help, we are reminded that our help comes from the God who is the creator of heaven and earth, and that that God is the one who keeps us and guards us. And so, God, we call on you as our keeper, our garter, and our helper, that you, God, would uh, touch Gary, that you would heal him. God, we pray that you would provide wisdom for his doctors, that uh, in the infusion uh, uh, um, uh, infusions that he has uh, scheduled over the months ahead, that each of those would be also just an infusion of this, your working spirit. God, um, God, we just pray that you would begin to shrink and destroy any nodules, any tumors, God, any more cancer. God, we pray that in the midst of all of this, that you, they would find Gary and Sherry, you, Jesus, with them uh, in the present. God, walking and keeping them in the midst of it all. God, I'm so grateful uh, for Gary and for who he's been to me, and I'm so excited to get to share him with your church today. And so we pray that you would speak. God, instruct us in the way of grace. And we pray, amen. And so with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, would you give a warm welcome to my Yoda, uh, Dr. Gary Bashirs? Yes? Yes. All right. Good stuff. All right. Yes. Yeah, it's, uh, this has been a technical day. I had a PowerPoint put together that I was going to work you through. And because uh, I am a Bible guy, I'm going to sit down because uh, two days, well, three days ago now, uh, I discovered an eyelid droop, and that's weird. And uh, let's see if I can... Ugh! Exercise and strength. There we go. I, so I got up and discovered my eyelids drooping. That's weird. And uh, didn't, you know, hmm, weird. So I reported to the doctor, because I report everything to the doctor these days. And, uh, uh, and then on, I was teaching a class on Wednesday in San Jose. I was teaching class on Thursday in Portland. And I was teaching class on Friday on Portland. Uh, and it's fun. I really enjoyed it. Thursday, the doctor called me back. And, well, the, actually, the advice nurse called me back and asked me some more questions. And I said, uh, could somebody move that clock just a little bit so I can see it? Somebody's head in the way or something. There you go. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, and... Uh, asked me what it was, and I said, well, I've got a droopy eyelid, and I've got a little bit of blurred vision in my right eye. They said, ooh. I don't like to hear nurses say, ooh. Right. Uh, they said, could you uh, come in tomorrow to urgent care and maybe get a CT scan? I said, well, actually, tomorrow I'm going to be headed down to Southern California. She said, well, could you come in tonight? That was Friday night. I said, yeah, I could. So I actually closed down the class an hour early and I went over to Kaiser Interstate in urgent care, and they stuck me in uh, quickly, did a bunch of questions, did all the tests, you know, measure, can you stand up, can you raise both eyebrows, 
And she said, well, it's not Bell's palsy. I said, that's good. She said, actually, it's probably not because that means it's probably a stroke or brain bleed. I've got metastatic melanoma in my brain that's been zapped twice. Well, two zaps, one session. And uh, okay, so I went back and stuck me a CT machine, took a picture of my head, which I have not seen, but I did see the report of it. And my favorite word these days is unremarkable, <laughs> which says there's nothing there. So my brain is unremarkable. <laughs> My pretty wife, Sherry, says, you know it, dude. <laughs> so that's where I'm at right now. And so Friday night, I'm thinking, hmm, uh, doctor said get a full ophthalmology review, find out what's going on with your eye uh, next week. And I'm, well, I'm down in California next week. I'm thinking, should I cancel Ryan? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I thought about it. And, but I'd have to cancel a whole week of classes over in Costa Mesa. Uh, and I decided against Sherry's advice to come on down. I'm really glad I did. But I can't stand up very well because my neck keeps flopping forward. So I'm going to sit down and talk to you. But I do want to say, just as I begin out, Ryan's talked a little bit about our journey together. Uh, he was in a cohort I started back in 2017 in San Jose. And there are students that, you, that I really connect in with. I connect with most students, and many of them deeply, because I have a real knack for hacking into people's private lives. <laughs> and uh, so Ryan and I have connected deeply. We've had a lot of time together. And I just want to say to you guys, you're very lucky to have such a good man in your, as your pastor. Ryan is an outstanding man of God. He's young. We've talked about that. He's really too young for the slot he's in yet. He knows that. And uh, so he needs to be beaten on pretty regularly to help him develop wisdom. So, so but it's just a delight to see him, Aaron and Emma and, and uh, oh, what's your kid's name? Arlo. Arlo. Yeah. Just a blast to see him. So, uh, so when I'm thinking about grace, it's one of those terms that, well, example, uh, I was flying down Friday or Saturday yesterday on Alaska Airlines, and I fly a lot on Alaska Airlines, so I've got status, and I was happily upgraded to first class, which comes with being MVP gold, and now that's not grace, that's, they're trying to get me to fly more, <laughs> uh, but in there, the, uh, the cabin attendant uh, was an incredibly gracious woman. I mean, everything about her, she was just so friendly and so kind and wanted to do anything she could possibly do. And I thought, wow, you know, this is really an example of a gracious person, like we saw in Numbers chapter 6, may God be gracious toward you. And I said, well, that's a pretty good example of what it would be like for God to be gracious toward you. I want to do more for you. I want to make sure that everything's good. And if you've been in first class on Alaska Airlines, you know that after you get your breakfast, they actually give you food in first class. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, and so I had a breakfast sandwich, and it was really quite good. Uh, she comes around a little basket of stuff, and it's all kinds of different stuff. So I, oh, wow, look at that. So I grabbed this, and I look, oh, that'd be good. So I took two things out of the basket. I'm thinking, that's really pushing it, isn't it? <laughs> and she said, oh, take some more, take some more. Mm. See, and that's what I think of when I think of gracious. Somebody who's a really nice person who is favorable toward you and wants to give you more. Mm. And uh, it's not on a, you know, I don't, you, it's weird. On airplanes, you don't tip the steward 
you know, tip the cabinet attendants. Here's this incredibly nice woman, uh, but it, it's just not the custom to tip her. So she's working. She didn't have to do that. I mean, she's a jerk. Everybody writes complaints about her, but she didn't have to be that nice. And that's a picture of grace, I think. I, in American, grace means uh, let me get away with it. You know, and you've probably heard, especially 13-year-olds, say, hey, come on, show me a little grace. What does that mean? I have been a total jerk. I deserve to be uh, spanked. And come on, show me a little grace. It means let me get away with what I just did. And what I want to suggest to you is that is not even slightly what it means in Scripture. Uh, God does not let us get away from and I want to unpack some stuff. So I was doing a definition of grace, and I like to do brief definitions. So if you're a note taker, you can write some of this down. I'm going to give you a different way. So it's God's amazing goodness freely given to undeserving people. That's a basic definition of grace. God's amazing goodness given to undeserving people. Uh, I was doing, the first time I did this sermon at my church, uh, one of my friends came up and said, Gary, you almost got it right. Mm. And I was, should I be defensive or you know, open? I decided to be open because I was preaching on grace. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, look at all that. You've got G, 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 U. Okay, I said, what would you suggest? So he suggested God's amazing goodness freely given to grubby people. <laughs> and then I got to think, well, if we do that, it's not just people, it's guys and gals. <laughs> and uh, then I got to think, well, it's not just freely, it's gratuitously. <laughs> then I realized I'm using the word to define the word, so I kind of gave up on it. So that's being a little bit silly about it. But when I think about grace biblically, and this is where you're going to help, help me out because there's no PowerPoint back here. I want you to get your phones out or whatever device you've got that's got a Bible on it. If you've got one that's actually print things, you, could, you have my permission to use that too. Because <laughs> what I want to do is talk about three dimensions of grace, but I want you to look at Scripture and kind of discover it for yourself because I'm a total Bible guy. Okay, turn to Proverbs 19.17. Proverbs 19.17. Take some time to do that. I really want you to look at the stuff because I am absolutely a Bible guy. I want you to see what I'm doing because it's in Scripture, not because I'm a PhD in theology and pastor, pastors and all that. Proverbs 19.17. So ESV, which is the translation I think you use here most often, says this, whoever is generous to the poor lead, lends for the Lord. And he will repay him for his deed. Whoever is generous toward the poor, and that's ESV. If I look in NIV, generous comes out, it's translated as gracious. If I look in, uh, sorry, that was uh, New American Standard. NIV, it's translated as kind. Uh, King James, it's translated as has pity on. So here's my question. Why would you give something to the poor? Why would you? What 
Paul, what deserving does a poor person have on your stuff? And what's the answer? This is not hard. What deserving does a poor person have on a middle class person's money and stuff? And what's the answer? None. None. And see, that's one of the dimensions of grace. And that dimension uh, is this. It's undeserved favor or unmerited favor. And one of the dimensions of grace is when you give something to somebody not because they're deserving, but because they're a person. So first dimension of grace is unmerited favor. Okay? I want you to look at one more passage. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians well, 2, 8 in particular. So, yeah, flip over to Ephesians 2, 8. Ephesians 2, 8. Take a look at it. I mean, this is a, if, you've been, if you're a church brat, you've seen this passage a lot. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. So this is kind of a definitional phrase for grace. For by grace you have been saved. And so what this is saying, it's the same kind of deal. It's unmerited favor. It's unmerited gift. And it specifically says it's not because of stuff you've done. Why does God give you membership in his family? And the answer here is it's strictly his grace. Now, I ask you, what do you have to do to get that gift? And what's the answer? You're supposed to answer when I ask you a question, okay? We're a small enough crowd, you can do that. What do we have to do to receive that gift? Not quite nothing. What do we have to do? We have to accept it. See, that's you've been saved through faith. And that's believing that that gift is actually a gift and I can receive it. So, but that isn't a meritorious thing. That's not a deserving thing. But when God says, here's my gift of salvation, here's my gift of membership in the family, you have to receive that grace. Because you can reject it. And so that's a... But there's no merit. It's not because I'm an asset on God's uh, balance sheet. Uh, it's bringing somebody into your family simply because they're a person and you give them that gift of membership. So I've, Sherry and I have two bio kids. We've got an adopted daughter. And we've got six or seven non-legal kids. Uh, and then about 30 bonus kids. We collect kids, so other people collect stamps. <laughs> but when Cindy came into our family, came into our household, we invited her to come and live with us, and a couple of years later we adopted her, so she's Cindy Brashears now, and when she came into our house, she was absolutely not an asset on our balance sheet. She was still uh, way deep into some really bad behaviors, uh, but there was a whole story behind it, and we asked her to come in. We'd had other people come in, too. But see, the reason we brought her into her family is not because she's deserving, but because of our grace toward her. You know, she's been Cindy Brashears for more than 30 years now, and she's much more 
an asset on a balance sheet now than she was. But that's an example of grace. So what's the first dimension of grace? Unmerited, Unmerited favor. And in church religious circles, that ends it. But I want to suggest to you that's not the end of it. So now what I want you to do is I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. So this is a story of when Paul has his visionary experience of God. It's like what Moses does in Exodus 24 when he's invited up onto the mountain and he sees like God's feet and then they're up into the clouds of the rest of God. It's an amazing vision. Paul has a very similar vision in 2 Corinthians 12. And in response to that, he says, uh, lest I was given a thorn in the flesh, lest I boast in this incredible experience that I had. And he says, I requested three times from God, please take away this thorn in my flesh. And then God answers, that's 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And what does God say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. And what's the next line? My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I ask you this. Is that unmerited favor that Paul is talking about there? Is the definition of grace at this point unmerited favor? I'd like to suggest to you that does not capture the meaning here. One of the things, if you know a little bit about Hebrew poetry, which we see in the Psalms and places like that all the time, is what's called parallelism. In Hebrew poetry, you say something and you say it again in different words. So the first line of this little poem is, my grace is sufficient for you. What's the second line? My power is made perfect in weakness. So what we're seeing, we see grace and power parallel. Okay? So how would you define grace from this passage? Paul's in a difficult spot. Whatever this thorn in the flesh is, it's really, really troubling for him, whether it's a sickness or the attacks of the people who hate him. Uh, what he's saying here is that God's power will enable him. So this would be my phrasing of it. It's empowerment for growth and service. A picture of grace is power, not just accepting, not just unmerited acceptance, not just unmerited favor, but actually power for, in this case, to continue his ministry despite whatever the thorn in the flesh is. Okay, let's look at one more verse. Uh, so I want you here to look at back in. I want you to look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. This is a place where you've got a controversy in the church, and they decide to select some deacons, and they select seven deacons to oversee the distribution of food in the community. And they talks about Stephen. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. It says here, Stephen is a man full of God's what? Grace. Grace. And what? Power. Power. Did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. 
Now, is that unmerited acceptance that says you get to come into the family of God? And the answer is no, it's not. What is it? It's power. Power for what? Power to serve and lead in the community of God. So a first dimension of God's grace is unmerited acceptance. It's how we come into the family. A second dimension is empowerment for growth and service. Okay? Now, we're not done yet. A third dimension. Let's go back to Ephesians again. Ephesians chapter 1. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Yeah, I know, you're doing quite a Bible tour here, but that's what you get. Because this is a very, very common word in Scripture, but it's, I think it's used in some cr very critically different ways. First of all, Ephesians 1, 7. This is Paul talking about uh, his work in the, in the church and through the church. It's talking about in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. What does grace do in this verse? What is grace doing in this verse? Is this acceptance into the family of God? No. Is it, empower, is it focusing on empowerment for service? Not really. What's it focusing on? What, what does redemption mean? Well, think of the Exodus. God brought his people out of the domination of Pharaoh and led them eventually up into the promised land. Redemption means being brought out of the sinful patterns of your life, the addictive, messing up, brokenness thing in your life. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and that's what God's grace does. So a third dimension, it seems to me, is cleansing from sin. So three dimensions of grace. Unmerited favor, unconditional acceptance, undeserved acceptance, something like that. So coming into the family of God, then you're in the family of God, it's empowerment for growth and service, as we saw in Paul's life. But then a third dimension is God's cleansing from sin. Remember back to the 13-year-old? What's his, what's his whiny statement? Hey, come on, show me those grades. Is that what we're talking about here? It's saying no. This is somebody who's outside the family coming into the family, and then grace is an empowerment to uh, grow and serve, and specifically it's a power to get rid of the sin in your life. So what grace means is I'll let you in my family despite your sin, in fact, he'll, it's not free, of course, because our Lord had to die. God had to take that sin into himself so that we could have that family membership. It's, it's like if you go to Bible Project, you know, which is one of my favorite groups in the world. We've got a whole bunch of resources there on the web. How much do you pay to take a look at those Bible Project videos in the classes online there and such? Nothing. Nothing. Is it free? What's well, free to the user. But see, it's not free because I know the kind of work that goes on in the background. And I know the crowdfunding that enables that. It's free to you, but it's not free. And that's the same way with grace. To come into the family of God or to have the power to grow and serve, 
or to be having the power to cleanse the sin in your life. It's free to you, but it's not free. It's free to the user, but it's not free on God's side. So that's a piece that comes in. So that's three dimensions of grace. What I'd like to do is think of three distortions of grace. So if we have uh, undeserved acceptance and we have empowerment for growth and service, but we take out cleansing from sin. So now what we have is we're not worried about the sin in your life and what we end up is not empowerment, not cleansing from sin, but we end up in license. And when I see a lot of Christians, they're saying, hey, I'm in the family, that's good, I love it, and I'm just going to continue living my sin. There's, there's no power for cleansing. So you end up being trapped in your sin and there's nowhere to go from there. That's a distortion of grace, is the cleansing from sin is taken away, so it's just licensed to sin. Well, let's put cleansing from sin back in and take out empowerment for growth. I, so there's no power for growth now, and I call this is laziness. There's no power for service, and that's the kind of entitlement that I see in all kinds of people that said, this is free, this is, this is not performance-based religion, it's just, I'm in the family, it's good, there's no expectation on me whatsoever, it ends up in license. So if you get on an airplane, and of course I do a lot, and I hear this little speech constantly, I actually put on my noise-canceling head, noise headphones so I don't hear it, but they'll say, the pilot will tell me what the wind speed is in our destination. Who in that cabin cares about the wind speed at our destination other than the pilot? I want him to pay attention. <laughs> but he will, at the end of his little speech there, he'll say, sit back, relax, and let us know if there's any way we can serve you. And see, that's the picture for a lot of people from church, is this is a place where God is saying, sit back, relax, let me know if there's any way I can make you more comfortable. And see, that's not the picture of the church. When you join the church, you join a mission to take the hope and goodness of God to the world. There's an expectation. It's not laziness. And then, of course, if you put empowerment back in and take away undeserved acceptance, that's kind of the worst of the bunch because what you end up with then is legalism. And legalism is say, yeah, you can come in the family, but it's completely conditional, and we've got... 15,000 rules that you need to keep, and if you break them, bam, you're in trouble. I grew up in a legalistic church, seventh grade through, well, until I kicked out of it. Actually, I stayed in the church, but I kicked out of religion, because what I found out in that place, there were all kinds of rules, and if you didn't keep the rules, you were kicked out of the family. Now, God does want us to grow, but that third legalism may be the worst of the bunch. So the three distortions of grace, legalism, laziness, and license, are very different than undeserved acceptance. Now that's a debate. What will get you kicked out of the family of God? That's the whole eternal security, and you'll have to come back another time to do that. <laughs> My take on this is because of God's redemptive work, we have a new heart, and our deepest desire is to be in the family, but we can get really rebellious sometimes. Mm. And I think about kids and family. How many times did kids and family get really rebellious? And unfortunately, in too many families, 
if they get rebellious, the parents kick them out and then we have throwaway kids. And what I'll say to you in God's family, there are no throwaway kids. He may let you walk away like a prodigal son, but it's only because he's made every possible attempt to keep you in the family. But if you decide to leave, but then what happens when the prodigal finally comes to his senses and comes back and realizes, Dad, I don't even deserve to be your son. True. What does the son, what does the father say? He cuts him off and hands him the robe. But see, there's a repentance that comes in, and that's where the cleansing from sin, God's grace never stops convicting you of the sin that made you run away from the family that you're freely a part of. That's grace. Okay, I want you to look at why would you expect God to be gracious toward us? And I want you to uh, go back to another passage. I want you to go back to Exodus chapter 34. And to put this passage in context, the people have come out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've seen God's miracle and they walk on dry ground. They've seen God's miraculous provision of water and food and protection of the Amalekites who are like the, you know, the, I don't know what you call them. They're the they're, they're gang, the bad guys. And God protects them. And then in chapter 32... God and, Abraham, God and Moses have been talking about the tabernacle so that God can dwell among his people and down on the plain the people build a golden calf. A, a, it's hard to say how insulting that golden calf was to God. When I tell the story, the last wedding I did was Josh and Maureen and I knew both of them before they knew each other. And when they asked me to do their wedding, I was delighted, surprised. And I did that wedding last summer. And it was just a delight. It was done in Josh's home church in Newburgh, Oregon. And I promised them husband and wife and sent them off on their honeymoon after a bit of a party there at the church. Now, let's say that, uh, say, second day of their honeymoon, uh, that Josh... He is so delighted, and, and Maureen is still laying in bed, just relaxing in the beauty of a new marriage. And Josh says, babe, I want to go out and get a present for you. And she says, okay. So he heads out, comes back a couple hours later with a poster, and uh, takes this poster and says, babe, this reminds me of you. Maureen, you're so beautiful. And unrails a poster from the strip club of a girl on a pole. Babe, this reminds me of you. Now, I'll ask you, what do you think Maureen's response might be? Is she going to be stoked? Aaron, what's she going to do? Yeah, going to be furious, mad. Cut his gizzard out. Yeah. You know, it'd be a huge insult that he went to a strip club and watched a girl and got a poster of her. It's autographed. Babe, this reminds me of you. Well, that's what the people do. They're on the plane, and God is Curious. In this picture of Moses, the intercessor, the righteous priest, talking to God, and I think God processes his very well-deserved anger with Moses, and they talk about it, and Moses comes down to the plain, and then what happens in Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is God's statement about what's going to happen to golden calf worshipers. These are people who insult him as badly as he can be insulted after he's done all this stuff for him. 
And it says this, the Lord, the Lord. And what that says is I have a name I want to relate. Lord is his personal name. God is a title. My title would be professor or pastor. My name is Gary. The Lord, the Lord. I have a name I want to relate. And then it says a God merciful. Or if you've got an NIV, it'll say compassionate. The first thing God says about himself is I am merciful or compassionate. He's compassionate toward whom in this passage? God is compassionate or merciful toward whom? Golden calf worshipers. He is merciful toward golden calf worshipers. And if you listen to the Bible Project video on this verse, Chris does a great job there of pointing out that the word there, Raham, is the word, the root word, is the same word that means womb. And what this is saying is this is God's feeling toward his golden calf worshippers, incredibly insulting, rebellious people, is the same feeling that a mother has toward her baby. I was watching Aaron and Ryan and think of Aaron because she was the one who has bore both kids in her womb. And just the delight that a mom has, special thing because she carried that baby for nine months. That's the way God is toward golden calf worshipers. He is merciful, compassionate. Why is that? Because he's that kind of a God. What do those golden calf worshipers do to deserve his mercy? Nothing. In fact, all the opposite. They have insulted him, and it's going to get worse. But what's the second word there in that passage? He is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and what? Gracious. Gracious. So what I suggest to you is when we think of compassion or mercy, think of I care about. I care for. And God here is talking about I care for golden calf worshipers. When you think of gracious, think I help. I help. Whom? Whom does he help? Golden calf worshipers. Why does he do that? Because that's his character. Now we don't stop there. What's the next phrase? He is is merciful. He is gracious. He is what? Slow to anger. Can you make God mad? Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't get out of bed in the morning in a cranky mood. He doesn't begin in an uh, angry mode. When you look at the other, the other gods of the ancient world, they all, they all begin in cranky moods from time to time. And you have to go make them happy so they'll do something good for you. Look at the gods of the Greek pantheon. You probably studied back in school, Zeus and Apollo and those guys. They're always fighting with each other. And when they come to this earth, it's to kill somebody and have some, some good blood feud type stuff and then go wenching afterwards. Very different character than a god who is 
cares about golden calf worshipers, helps golden calf worshipers, and is slow to anger. You can make him mad, but you have to work at it. And that does not contradict the fact that he cares about and is helpful toward. What's the next phrase? Abounding in what? Steadfast love. Faithfulness are the two words there. They're very mutual defining kinds of words. He is the one who is faithful in his love, just like a husband and wife should be, just like parents and children should be. Steadfast love, chesed and faithfulness. Amen. So that's the grace and truth from John 1, 14, is actually these two words. He is keeping this steadfast love for thousands. But then what's the next one after the steadfast love for thousands? What's the next character of God? What is it? Yeah, look at your Bible. After steadfast love for thousands, what's the next characteristic? Forgiving. Forgiving. Forgiving what? Sin. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. See, that's God's desire is to forgive. But what's the next phrase? But who will no means, who will by no means do what? Clear the guilty. What does that mean? If we do not receive his forgiveness, then we may remain guilty and under his condemnation. We remain guilty and under his condemnation, not because of something he failed to do, but something we failed to do, and that is to receive that grace. Now let me ask you again, what are the two, three dimensions of grace that I've tried to palm off on you? What's the first one? Unmerited favor, unconditional acceptance. What's the second one? Empowerment for growth and service. And what's the third one? Cleansing from sin. Why does God give that to us? Why does God give that to us? The answer is just who He is. What's our responsibility? To receive it. And this is the crazy thing is that the number of people who refuse to receive God's grace is incredible. And that's the message that we have for people is God is willing to bring you into his family with all the benefits and blessings related to that. He wants to help us grow and serve and have the fulfillment for that. And he wants us to be cleansed from the sin and brokenness that entraps us and he wants to bring redemption to us. And the question is, will we receive it? See, for somebody who's not a Christian already, it means will you come into the family? And some of you here may be just checking out this Jesus thing. And I'd like to suggest to you that the benefits of being in this family are incredible. Cindy, our adopted daughter, would be long since dead had she not accepted the the uh, invitation to come into our family. She saw it's tough times because of her abusive background and such, but she knows our papa, and even when it's hard for her to talk to me, she knows that I love her and care for her. That's what it is with God. For those of you who are in the family, which is probably many of you, do you want to love and serve and get the benefits of being a part of this family? God's grace is given freely. And if you've got sin and brokenness in your life, God 
desperately wants to come in and help you deal with it. Now, you have to work with him in that process to receive his grace and live it out. But see, this is the point when it says, may God be gracious toward you, that blessing prayer of Moses there in Numbers chapter 6, that's his desire for us. And the question for all of us is, will you receive and keep and live out his grace? And that's the question I'll live for all of you, because we've all got more grace growing to do in that spot. Let me pray for you.